As a user browses a web page, that browser session generates events that need to be recorded, validated, enriched, and stored. This data is sometimes called Customer Data Infrastructure, or CDI. The data requires a full stack of different tools, a system on the front end to collect the data, middleware to transport the data, and back-end systems for storing and loading that data into data warehouses and other analytical systems. Snowplow Analytics is a data collection platform for storing events. In Snowplow, modules called trackers send data to collectors, and this data can be then validated and enriched, and then put into a customer's data warehouse via ETL jobs. Alex Dean is the CEO of Snowplow, and he joins the show to talk through the business model, the management, and the engineering of Snowplow Analytics, as well as the overall data engineering landscape. If you are interested in sponsoring Software Engineering Daily, you can send me an email, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. The show reaches more than 30,000 engineers daily, and if you are interested in reaching those engineers as well, we'd love to hear from you. You can also become a paid subscriber to the show by going to softwaredaily.com and clicking on subscribe. That would help us support the show, and it would mean a lot to us. Thank you. Alexander, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Jeff. Thanks. Snowplow is a tool for data collection and validation and enrichment, and the data that we're talking about here is event data. Explain what these events are. Right, yeah, good question. So the way to think of it is you've got these kind of customer-facing properties, these like places like websites, mobile apps, email systems, things like that. And your customers, your users are in those systems and they're behaving in certain ways. So they're generating activity. The activity that they're, they're working through, that's giving off these kind of tiny signals, these tiny little records, these tiny facts that are tracking what they're doing. So a good example is if you're on a website, you know, you're, you're, you're viewing pages, you're staying on a page and we can send out an event that says the, the user is still on that, that page and maybe they've scrolled this far down the page. So those tiny signals, we call those events you can think of them a little bit like records in a database, but they're, they're very small facts about that user at that point in time. Uh, when we talk about events, Snowplow being kind of like you know an event pipeline, that's what we mean. We mean it's a pipeline where these kind of tiny little behavioral signals flow through these events or records. And does Snowplow itself handle the event collection? Like if I'm building a mobile app and I want to track events, Am I creating those events through Snowplow? Yeah, exactly. So we, we've got a bunch of um, SDKs, common platforms like web and mobile and server-side as well. Snowplow users, Snowplow customers will, will embed those SDKs in their apps, in their, in their websites and so forth. And those SDKs will, will generate, basically generate the signal, generate the events. And then the Snowplow pipeline kind of picks those up and then further processes them. So yeah, you can think of it as like, you put the Snowplow SDKs in, and then that starts to kind of generate the data, the event data. What would be an example of when I would need to get that data through the pipeline and do some additional work on the raw event data? Yeah, so this kind of data is, well, we call it behavioral data now. Like 10 years ago, it used to be called clickstream data. Now it's called behavioral. And there's just loads of different use cases for it. So like businesses will, will kind of go through various stages and, and they'll get started with a lot of kind of transactional data and, and data that's sitting inside, you know, SQL databases and things like that. 
But there comes a point where you come up with a use case that just needs way more granular data, uh, way more kind of granular information on the user's, the customer's behavior at that point in time, their activity. And so, you know, good examples would be maybe you're trying to do fraud detection, maybe you're trying to um, understand customer behavior, so deep understanding of the customer journey in the run up to a purchase, trying to understand what's sticky about a product and what's keeping your customers with you or, uh, or, or making them more likely to churn. So there's, there's as many use cases as there really are kind of industries and departments inside of teams. But, but what, what brings Snowplow into an organization is that decision that, yeah, like we can't solve this problem properly without having that super granular kind of behavioral signal. So when I create an event, let's say with my e-commerce application, let's say a customer logs into an e-commerce application and they start clicking around, they're adding things to their shopping cart, they're seeing ads. What kinds of events might be generated from this workflow and what would happen to those events as they're being pulled into Snowplow? Basically, you want to kind of capture all of that signal. So you want to capture uh, the customers or the prospective buyer, you know, paging through the site, experiencing catalog pages, looking at detail pages, maybe kind of interacting with specific products, how far down the, the description they're reading, whether they're clicking through on kind of recommendations to other pages and things like that. So you want all that kind of granular information. Once they start getting into a kind of a, a, a buying cycle, maybe adding things to cart or adding things to wish list and then going through checkout, you want all of that granular information as well. And then once you once you kind of got that, then you can start to use that in super interesting ways. So, you know, kind of a classic example in, in retail is that signal's going to give you great building blocks to figure out things like abandoned shopping carts is a great example. So there's no signal that says this, this shopping cart's been abandoned, but if you're collecting all that behavior um, that the shopper's going through and then you see it stopping, you can you can figure out you can do some downstream processing and figure out yeah this this is a this is a prospective shopper that we want to get get in touch with and and use that kind of behavioral um, understanding to to then trigger something else downstream. And Snowplow was founded around 2012. How has the data landscape changed since that time? It's changed vastly, really, really kind of to, to a massive extent. So. Snowplow was founded, uh, Yali, my co-founder and I, we, we found it back in, in 2012. We had the kind of the original idea of, of building this event data pipeline. I think the thing that was a little bit unusual at the time was we built it on top of AWS. So we, we said, look, Snowplow is a behavioral data pipeline. You need to be running this on top of AWS. We're going to use AWS services and that's going to make it super, super scalable. I think Looking back, it's hard to remember what the landscape was like in 2012, but like cloud was not in this kind of dominant position it was in now. Um, so today, Snowplow supports AWS and GCP, but like it just wasn't such a big thing. It was a it was a bit more of a bet back then. So I'd say a few things. I'd say that the rise of cloud is a huge, huge difference. So you know, so many data engineers today spend so much of their time working with the the, the native cloud native data services inside of AWS or Azure or Google Cloud. We've seen so much like innovation on the streaming side of things, the rise of the cloud data warehouses. So like back in 2012, those, you know, Redshift was not a thing. So, and that's not even to start on the whole kind of people and process and methodology side of things. Like data engineering was still a pretty niche career um, back in 2012. 
Um, now it's super mainstream and we're seeing kind of follow on movements like data ops and, 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 you know, data meshes and all sorts of interesting things. So, yeah, I, I would say it's just changed vastly. Some things have stayed the same, but there's just been constant kind of constant change on people and, and processes and tech. So the rise of the cloud data warehouse, how did that change your business? It, it changed it a lot. So the original version of Snowplan 2012, we, we just landed the data in uh, Amazon S3. So we gave you all these kind of granular events in S3. And we said, well, you better write some Hive queries. So Apache Hive was big back then, and it kind of gave you a SQL layer over, over Hadoop. So we said, well, you better write some Hive queries to work with that. And that was just super difficult. So we were looking around at different options and trying to figure out, could we get the Snowplow data into a data warehouse? And we heard from the guys at, uh, at AWS that they were working on Redshift. And so we kind of behind the scenes started porting Snowplow to, to work with, with Redshift. And you know, I think our open source support for Redshift came out just a few weeks after Redshift came out of private beta. And so that was just an awesome time for us. Like, as Redshift adoption went up, Snowplow adoption went up, people were searching for things like my web analytics data in Redshift and they were finding Snowplow. And, and Snowplow wasn't just a, a blog post tutorial, it was like you know Apache 2 licensed code that could do this thing. So yeah, the advent of Redshift was, was, was really big for us. So as Snowplow grew into that cloud data warehouse era, what else did you see in the customer use case patterns like how was the obviously I, people were collecting more and more events and yeah, i'm sure you had to figure out how to handle those that increase but what other kinds of changes did you see as the cloud data warehouses rose to prominence we saw the kind of the build out of this kind of modern data stack with the, the cloud data warehouse as a kind of a, a linchpin. So we saw we saw companies were starting to hire these kind of data teams, build these data teams, bring in maybe some sort of head of data engineering or, or similar role. And we saw them bringing in the, the cloud data warehouse and then thinking about, well, how am I gonna use this data? So thinking about you know the, the, the next generation of BI tools, people like Looker, and they also started thinking, well, how am I gonna populate this warehouse? And so they were finding, tools to kind of bring data in from their SaaS system. So finding things like Stitch and Fivetran, and then they were finding kind of behavioral data pipelines like, like us to bring in the kind of the rich activity. So, so I, think, I think the cloud data warehouses changed a lot around, yeah, just kind of adoption patterns. And I think it kind of made it okay for people to start bringing all this data together um, and building this kind of central capability. I think in terms of what we saw, We'd started with web analytics and, you know, we pretty rapidly saw people wanting to bring their mobile app data in. And then we saw users and, and then customers wanting to bring server-side data in as well. So I think people got more confident that these warehouses could be like a, a central, kind of a central source for all this stuff. There's a angle to the Snowplow story where you were looking at Google Analytics and considering how... Google Analytics gives you a vast quantity of data, but is siloed in Google Analytics. And people wanted a more flexible way of accessing that kind of analytics data. Can you describe how the Google Analytics was kind of a, an inspiration for 
how Snowplow developed? Yeah, definitely. So to think back to 2012, like Yali and I, we'd been doing a lot of consulting projects in, in, in London for UK clients and they'd been able to give us really good offline data. So, you know, data coming out of ERP and point of sale and CRM systems and things like that. But when it came to the kind of the, the clickstream data, the behavioral data, they didn't really have anything. So they would give us a login to Google Analytics and say, hey, look, look, you, you can log in here and, and get what you need. And that wasn't kind of good enough. That wasn't what we wanted. We wanted access to all the granular, all the events, all the behavioral, behavioral signal. And I guess what was, and the reason we wanted access to all that data was because we knew if we had it, we could do any analysis we wanted. So we could grab it, um, grab that data, join it to the offline data. We could do single customer view. We could think about, you know, customer loyalty, holistically, all of those kinds of things. And we knew how to build the kind of the engine that underlies something like Google Analytics or Omnitra as it was then. And so our kind of the original concept of Snowplow was, well, what if we just sort of take the engine out of something like Google Analytics, give that away for free, open source it and say, look, you can kind of build what you want on top of this engine. And so I guess Snowplow was, it was interesting because we were kind of in the web analytics category in that we, we cared deeply about your web behavioral data but we weren't a, a web analytics vendor. And, you know, funnily enough, we, when we started Snowplow, we thought we were kind of disrupting. We thought, oh, we're open source. We're disrupting Google Analytics. Like Google Analytics is doing just fine. Like, you know, lots of our customers and users use Snowplow alongside Google Analytics. Like we did something different, which is we actually kind of built this behavioral data, you know, engine, if you will, that, um, that, that data teams could then build other stuff on top of. So it ended up being quite different from Google Analytics, even though frustration with GA was kind of where we where we started and why we started the build out. You also worked for OpenX for a year and a half at a certain point in your career. And OpenX is an ad tech company, I believe it's a exchange. And I know that ad tech has a lot of opportunities around data management. And and I, I'm just I wanted to go through a little bit more of the high level before we dive a little more into the architecture and how you got to that architecture and the the engineering behind it. But when you look at the the ad tech space and uh, the amount of data collection that goes on there, what are the opportunities for building products there? And, And did that at all play a role in what you ended up doing with Snowplow? Jeff, you've, you've done your research. Yeah, so we, um, Yali and I met at OpenX. And so we met at, a, at an ad tech business that was had, had kind of an open source pedigree, heritage. And so I think that gave us two things. It gave us a kind of an early understanding about open source business models and how you could potentially build a community and then go from community to, to, to commercializing. And then almost more importantly for getting started with snowplow it kind of showed us how to build these kinds of pipelines and you're right like the ad tech industry was very early into building uh clickstream data pipelines like i remember in 2008 like openx was starting to build out kind of replatform and i was spending time in, in pasadena and 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 i got to work with like you know early original hadoop engineers and so you start to see how these components are going to work and how, how you're going to be able to build these very kind of high fidelity pipelines on top of them. And then that kind of turned in, later that turned into Amazon putting out Elastic MapReduce and kind of packaging up Hadoop and, 
And that was one of the early thoughts we had at Snowplow, which is, ah, we can build the initial version of Snowplow on top of Elastic MapReduce, and that's going to give us a lot of the, you know, a lot of the kind of the, the fabric to, to build Snowplow on top of. So yeah, AdTech was um, a big help in the, the early days of, of Snowplow, and AdTech's had its ups and downs since, but AdTech and MarTech have always been categories that have really, really cared about very granular, you know, event, event stream data and working with that. Well, my sound just went strange. So yeah, AdTech continued to be like major consumers and major thinkers in the whole kind of event data space. You know, they use technologies like Snowplow very widely still. And some AdTech vendors use use Snowplow um, under the hood. I mean, the open source side of Snowplow. Now let's get into the architecture of Snowplow. So we've talked about the fact that you can collect these events and these events eventually might want to make their way into your cloud data warehouse. So then you can query them, you can build machine learning pipelines around them, things like that. But there is this intermediate step of of cleaning up or enrichment or these things that can go on in the Snowplow pipeline. Give me a description of the Snowplow architecture. Maybe take me through like the life the life of an event. The big insight when we were building Snowplow or designing Snowplow and, and something we've stayed true to ever since is the idea that Snowplow is really a, a unidirectional pipeline. Uh, the data goes in one direction and as it goes through, it gets enriched, it gets validated, all that kind of stuff. So we're constantly kind of augmenting and improving the data, but it's it's a, it's a single directional flow. Um, and that made the whole thing a lot easier to build. And it's actually made it a lot easier to evolve over time because you know, we can we can say, well, we'll work on this part of it now. We'll we'll improve this part of the pipeline. So the way the way it flows end to end. So we have the event generation in the SDKs in the trackers that we call them. Those events then get sent into a collector, which is just a, a basic kind of HTTP server that picks them up. That collector then puts the raw events. So the events have basically just come out of the, the tracking SDK. Puts them onto a raw queue, so like a Kinesis or Google uh, Cloud Pub Sub event stream or queue or topic, call it what you will. And then the, the 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 heavy lifting component, which we call kind of the enrich component, picks those up. And it does, even though it's called enrich, it actually does two super important things. So the first thing it does is event validation, which I'll, I'll come back to in a second. And then the other thing it does is enrichment. And so those those two things are really, really cool. They're, they're a really big part of, of, of Snowplow. So the validation is, is really important. When we send in the events um, from the trackers, we get the, we get the developer to essentially annotate what schemas those events should follow. So by schema, I just mean like, what's the, the data structure of those events? What are the, the entities that are part of that event? Like, what is their definition? Like, what is the structure of them? And so that's a little address, if you will, that gets sent in, in with the events. And then in the validation process, we check, we check those references against the actual data structure definitions. So we created um, a component called Igloo, which is a schema registry. And so basically that's just like a tiny store of these data structures. So we've got a schema registry, the guys at Confluent have got a schema registry. It's a pretty important part of this, this architecture because you want to very quickly essentially check the events that are coming through against the structure they should have. And, and that's, that's really important in, in our space because those events that are coming in, like they could be unreliable. 
like they could have been somehow corrupted, maybe in the build process, maybe someone, um, one of the developers has changed um, the fields that are coming through. And so we need to kind of proactively check all that. Um, you know, think of it as a kind of an unreliable narrator that we need to, to cross check. And so validation is a really big part. And then enrichment is the other big part. So basically we had to start building out enrichment really fast, really early in Snowpass history because we were sending these events through the pipeline and analysts were saying, this isn't this isn't rich enough. Like I need to know like the geolocation of, of these events. I need I need to know kind of like who was the uh, the referrer, what was the marketing campaign that that got someone to land on this page. So we built out a bunch of enrichments. We added some abilities to kind of create custom enrichments. Um, so you can write them in like JavaScript, and you can do SQL database lookups and things like that. And so those two things together mean that the data coming out of the enrich component is really high quality. So it's like been validated and it's richer. So it's got more interesting stuff on it. And we did another thing early on, which was really important, which is we we embraced the, the idea of bad data. So or sometimes we call it kind of failed events now. So one of the things that frustrated us about the packaged uh, analytics platforms was that they just would sort of sit on bad data. They wouldn't like flag it. They wouldn't like, you know, quarantine it. They wouldn't do anything with it. And and that could just that can create all sorts of problems in your in your reporting. So we we had a strong idea of like, well, think of it a bit like Unix pipes. You've got your standard in, you got your standard out, but you need your standard er as well. You need a, a bad bucket where you can put stuff. And so anything that fails this whole process goes into a, a, a bad stream, if you will, and a stream of failed events. And that's really powerful because that means you can then go and fix that. You can then look in there and say, ah, oh, okay, I get it. Like there was a problem with that schema or there's a problem with that enrichment or whatever. I can go and fix that data and flow that reflow that data through the pipeline once you fixed it. So that was really important. What comes out of that component is just enriched events. So validated, enriched, good quality events. And then we had the question of, well, what, what do you do with those? And so, you know, like I said, the original destination was S3. That was a bit clunky to work with. So then Redshift came out and we built a loader to get the data into Redshift. And then like over the years, we built other loaders. So we wrote a loader for Snowflake, a loader for BigQuery, a loader for Elastic. And they're used by different people for different different reasons. But fundamentally, the, the heavy lifting there is you've got to get this incredibly rich event data into the warehouse in a format that's kind of usable and, and, and convenient for the analysts. And so there's there's a there's a fair bit of kind of clever logic that happens in those loaders to make the data very kind of analytics ready. But fundamentally what's going into the warehouse is the same super granular enriched rich data. The last piece after that for the warehouse is well what do you do with that really granular data? And so one area that we're, we're planning on doing more, more in is kind of helping, helping users and customers to kind of build that very granular event data back up into kind of more meaningful, kind of more sort of business analyt, analytics ready records. So a good example of that is if you've got snowplow tracking like video consumption, you probably send out a heartbeat every 10 seconds saying user is still watching the video. But like, and those heartbeats will all end up in your warehouse, but actually an analyst doesn't really care about the heartbeats. The analyst wants to know, you know, user one, two, three, watch the video for 23 minutes. And so there's that, that whole piece is called data modeling, SQL data modeling. And 
like we've done a bit of work in that area. Um, other people have done work in that area as well. There's some uh, DBT, which is a very hot kind of data modeling tool that's grown up over the last last few years. The, the guys at Fishtown have, have built that community really well. And there's almost new, now a kind of a, a job role dedicated to that that part of the the pipeline um, called the analytics engineer. Um, who's doing a lot of work with SQL to kind of rebuild up those layers to really understand the kind of the, the, the customer behavior and, and make that kind of usable by the business. And so that's all happens. And then, of course, you plug in BI tools, things like Looker and, and you know, there's Snowplow bindings into Looker, LookML and stuff like that. So it's, it's a multi-stage thing. I think the thing that makes it kind of not too difficult to reason about and the thing that's allowed us to keep evolving it over eight years is the fact that it's kind of it's single directional. And so we've been able to kind of swap out and improve individual components as long as we don't break the kind of protocols at the the, the source and the, the target end of those components. So it's kind of like you're trying to preempt the ETL process because you're basically trying to ingest the data, clean it up on ingestion, and then throw it straight into the data warehouse, if I understand correctly, rather than having, I think, a lot of traditional uh, or, or a lot of alternative data workflows, they'll dump the data straight into a data lake like S3, and then they'll have periodic ETL jobs. And then the ETL jobs do the cleanup and put them into the warehouse. Then maybe you have DBT doing additional cleanup in the in the warehouse. But it seems like your, your architecture is more around cleaning things up before it gets into the warehouse. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's quite. I think that's quite a good way of looking at it. So, funnily enough, quite a few like engineers and data engineers come to Snowplow having kind of outgrown or got frustrated with classic ETL approaches. So you're right. It's quite a. It's a good way of looking at it. Like ETL was a kind of a very classic model of saying, well, we've got we've got kind of data in certain places, certain pots of data, and we want to bring that into the warehouse, and we want to do. You know, extract, transform, load, and more recently, there's been a lot of like ELT and the idea that like you can do the transformation in the warehouse using something like DBT or, or Matillion. And I think that the kind of snowplow is kind of adjacent to that, but quite different. Which is, we built the early days of snowplow. You kind of think of it as a little bit of an ETL style process, but as we sort of re-engineered it and, and, and made all the components real time, you're right. Like essentially, a lot of the the the, the power happens in real time in these processing components before it hits the warehouse. And so like that's, that actually turns out to be incredibly helpful when you're trying to bring on the, the real-time use cases. And the real-time use cases have been fairly slow coming as in general in the data, the data industry. Like it's always been this is the year of real time. <laughs> and like it's turned out that every year people have built more and more like SQL jobs inside of data warehouses. But but you know, real-time use cases are coming online. More people are thinking about kind of operational analytics and forward deployments, and you know, how do we turn this into real-time decisioning? And in that world, you're right. Like kind of ETL is ETL is kind of too too slow and too backward-looking and too kind of maintenance-oriented. Whereas a lot of the the architecture of Snowplow kind of gets you that real-time get, gets you that very granular, high-quality, high high-richness event data basically in real time so you can do those use cases without having to route it through you know a warehouse and do lots of clean up and, and further processing so it's kind of it, it sort of packaged it up more if you will now in snowplow if i'm collecting events i might have a really high volume of events coming in like if i've got a user that's scrolling 
through a page really quickly. It's collecting lots and lots of events. Are there any engineering issues with handling a high frequency of events like that? So we, we have, I mean, we have users and, and customers doing, you know, billion, billions of events a, a day under lockdown, like some of our customers and users have, their volumes have gone, gone crazy. I think there's kind of, there's two different parts to it. So there's absolute volumes, then there's actual kind of spikiness of traffic, and they're kind of two separate things. So the absolute volume side of things, like... The good news is that the, the core components of Snowplow, the, the, the underlying services in AWS and GCP, they do basically like all scale horizontally. What, what you tend to find is that there are kind of orders of magnitude inflection points where you need to, to step back a bit. And we've had to do this over the years and thought and think, well, actually, okay, at this volume, this component inside of the cloud provider starts to break down. So how do we how do we fix that? But but in general, like those those horizontal scalable services are pretty robust and, and we, we built somehow on top of them in a, in a robust way. I think the spikiness thing is interesting. So if you think about a lot of the kind of cloud components from AWS, for example, they're good at elasticity, but sometimes you have to kind of pre-warm them. Sometimes they're a little bit slow and you can end up in a world where you can end up in an interesting world where you're either kind of having to scale ahead of the spike in anticipation or, you know, sometimes people have like over provisioned these things just to avoid having the, to, you know, to make sure they're ready for the spike. So we've been doing quite a lot of engineering recently to deal with spikiness on AWS. So we've kind of been bringing in a kind of an SQS kind of overflow pipe to handle Kinesis being a bit slow to, to spin up sometimes and things like that. So we're, we're always looking at, at ways to improve. And the nice thing is because we're, you know, picking up these larger and larger users, Everyone kind of else gets those gets those benefits, but yeah, those the direction travels only one way. Like people are sending more and more uh, event volumes through these through these pipelines. The high quality data is only attainable if you do this schema validation process. Can you tell me more about how the schema definition and the validation works? Yeah, definitely. So. When we were starting with Snowplow, we were focused on web analytics data, and that typically had very defined structures. As we started to bring in support for mobile analytics, we realized that every mobile app is different, and app developers want to send in very different structures. And so we thought, okay, well, we want a way of structuring this, making it predictable, so that um, we can load it into the data warehouse, for example, in a, in a structured way. And we looked around at different schema technologies, and, and the one we landed on was JSON schema, like pretty much all front-end developers, all application developers, very comfortable with JSON. JSON schema is like a very powerful description language um, that allows you to essentially, you know, strongly type a JSON object. And it's really flexible and you can you can do some really cool stuff with it. So we were like, okay, well, let's create a registry where we can store these definitions of these, these JSON schemas. And then we'll come up with a kind of an address address format so that the developer who's instrumenting Snowplow can just send in the JSON and send in a little URI essentially that, that describes what the schema is. And so we did some thinking on like, you know, vendoring it and versioning it and, and, and all of that was really, really helpful. I think the nice thing about, about all this is it means that if an event fails validation, you get very granular error messages on, on why it failed. And that, that makes it very useful to go back and figure out kind of what's, what's gone wrong in the, in the tagging and the instrumentation. I think that the validation stuff touches on a big topic that kind of the data folk have gone backwards and forwards on 
over the last like 10 years, which is kind of schema versus schemaless, structured versus semi-structured versus unstructured data. And, you know, I know there are different schools of thought on it. Like at Snowplow, our kind of basic tenet for us from our perspective was that work around understanding the data structures has to happen somewhere. And so, you know, you can bring it right up to the front of the pipeline like we do and say, well, we've got to have an understanding of what we're sending through at the time of generation. Or you can push it all the way down to like, you know, the other end of the scale, you know, you're putting unstructured JSONs into something like MongoDB and and the analysts are figuring it out. And, you know, those two extremes work work in different ways at different points in like product life cycles and different teams and stuff. But fundamentally what we found at Snowplow is that the kinds of more kind of data mature companies that use Snowplow, they've just gone through the pain of having data analysts and data scientists struggling with data that, you know, is unschemered or semi-structured and like they don't understand you know, what properties it has when. And so they've kind of said, okay, well, we don't want to have that pain anymore. So we're going to switch and we're going to you know, put more work into structuring the data and just have that quality flow through the, the pipeline. So it's um, it's a really data professionals can talk about about schema schema versus unschemed all day but i think the most important thing is to be be explicit in the decisions you're making and why what i'd like a little bit of clarification on is why you need this schema validation because if i have my data infrastructure or if i have my my front end infrastructure all defined however i want to the user facing events like when somebody's scrolling through the, through my mobile app, I get to define the schema of those events as they're being created. So then they get created, uh, they get ingested on my uh, side of the, the back end. Why do I need to validate them further if I control all of this event infrastructure? It's because they're that there's very often drift in the source systems. So in the in the website or the, the mobile apps or whatever, there'll be um, there'll be an, a change in like um, so in in Java in Java language, like there might be the addition of a new field into the POJO. There might be an addition of a new you know property into a struct or whatever. And so that's that's additive data. There can be like changes of IDs from strings to numbers and back again are just so common and things like that. And they don't sound like a lot when I describe them like that, but if you think about the downstream processing, like, you know, a good example is if you're trying to stream this data into, you know, a table in a table in Redshift, and I think the order IDs are, stri- uh, are numbers, and I've got a, a you know a numeric column for that order ID, and then suddenly they're strings, like my whole process breaks down, like I, I can't keep loading, like I can't load that row, and so basically, like it's it's because the schemas exist to create this kind of contract, if you will from right upstream inside the original applications that are generating the behavioral data, all the way downstream to the data warehouse. Um, you know, if you're building real-time applications, again, you're gonna have like, you're gonna be, uh, you know, you're gonna be reading these events and you're gonna be working with them and you expect them to be a certain way. You expect the order ID to always be the string or always be the number. And, and it's really, it's quite scary if you don't have those kinds of controls, that kind of strongly typed system, if you will, it's quite scary how often it breaks down just because yeah, data, data quality issues at source are uh, always tricky. What happens when there's a failure in the event uh, validation? Like when, when my schema finds that one of the events that have been created is, is invalid? 
Right. So basically, that event will be taken offline by the, the enrichment component I talked about earlier. It'll be taken offline and it will be written out to a separate stream. So like, think of it as like a separate Kinesis stream or Google at Cloud Pubs Up uh, topic. And it'll be written out and it'll be like, here's the raw payload. This is what we tried to process. And here are the failures that we had processing it. So here are like the kind of the you know, we try to validate it against this schema and we couldn't. And here are the like failures. So order ID was meant to be a string and it's a number kind of thing. So so kind of every single failed event goes out there. And then, you know, different people do different things with them. Sometimes it's just, you know, interesting for reporting. People are like, okay, I get it. Like I've got increased elevated error rates. I'm going to go back and fix the instrumentation. Sometimes those events are like really important for business reporting or, you know, some sort of operational data product. And so we'll work with the, the, the customer to kind of fix those those problems and get them back into the, the pipeline. And an open source user can do the same thing because you have access to all the, all the failed events. So the data, once it's in the pipeline, it can be consumed by multiple places. So I could save it in a data lake. I could also save it in a data warehouse. Uh, I could use it to maybe trigger something. Can you tell me about the actions that developers might want to take once an event comes into Snowplow? It's a really interesting space and it's kind of evolved with with the wider kind of data data tooling ecosystem. So the first things first, the bread and butter, so many Snowplow users and customers will do the kind of crunching in the warehouse that I described. So that is kind of that that's sort of table stakes. You you get the granular data into the warehouse and then you do data modeling on top of it and you might do like business reporting or, or you know product analytics or whatever. So you can do loads of analytical use cases. Um, so that's very standard. But like you said, you've also got these events in stream. So you've got a, a you know very uh, high velocity stream of all of this kind of behavioral data um, and it's sitting inside your own Amazon or, or Google Cloud account. So, I mean, different technologies have come about over the, you know, the last, whatever, 10, 10 years for, for doing stream processing. And, you know, we have lots of users and customers who plug those in. So the last couple of years, uh, Lambda functions have been very hot. And so we have various different, different users and customers who build Lambda functions to read that stream and then do something with it. So maybe they're looking for abandoned shopping carts. Maybe they're looking to make uh, content recommendations or something like that in near real time. So there's a lot of cool use cases like that. We see other people using things like Flink, Spark, and uh, and so forth. There's lots of different tools out there. One thing we put out to make, make those use cases a little bit easier is kind of, again, a bunch of SDKs, which are, we call the analytics SDKs. So they kind of make it easier to work with the Snowplow data in one of those environments. So we have a, have a few of those. But yeah, like, I mean, there's loads of different use cases and, and there's different different tools because fundamentally it's just a stream and, and you know, pretty much everyone, uh, pretty, pretty much all those stream processing tools support Kinesis and, and, and PubSub. So, yeah. Do you have any perspective on which data warehouses are the most popular and the kind of breakdown of uh, usage between Snowflake, BigQuery, Redshift? So people really like, so we see it break down quite a lot by, by cloud. And like I said, we're on AWS and Google Cloud. So, so we kind of see those, those two the, the closest. On Google Cloud, people love BigQuery. BigQuery is a bit of a sort of a hero service inside of 
Google Cloud. And a lot of people come to Google Cloud because they or their developers or, or data, data folk want to use BigQuery. So you know, BigQuery is super, super popular. On AWS, I would say that there's still a lot of usage of Redshift. And there is a definite kind of interest in using some of the kind of adjacent Redshift services. So Athena, Redshift Spectrum, and things like that. But we see a lot of Snowflake usage with our with our customers and, and with our open source users. And I think the thing that Snowflake have really got right is it's just a kind of a one-stop shop. Like, you know, you get comfortable with Snowflake, get comfortable with the UI, the query language, all that stuff, the SQL. And, and then people just... They like it. So yeah, and the elasticity side of it, I think, you know, separating the the, the storage from the queries, that was that was very important um, when they came out with that. So yeah, we see a lot of Snowflake usage, a lot of BigQuery usage, but you know, Redshift still has a lot of aficionados, still has a lot of a lot of fans out there and there's a lot of people who've, you know, invested pretty heavily in Redshift over the years. So uh, yeah, it's not it's not going anywhere. As GDPR has become more prominent uh, has that affected your business at all? Did you know because there's so much uh, regulation around data management, and Snowplow is inherently a data management product. Did you have to make any adjustments to the infrastructure? We took GDPR and and and, and similar things like CCPA. We took them and continue to take them very very seriously. Like I think that it's easy to kind of get stuck on the kind of the the technical side of those things and think about like specific features. I think the wider thing with those is thinking about what they're really what they're really going for and they're really going for the idea that like all of us who work in data need to get way clearer on the, the basis under which we're collecting behavioral data from, from users and, and customers and other and other people in, in in you know on using these platforms. And so like, you know, we we put an extra functionality into Snowplow around kind of tracking consent um, from users. So we put that into the tracking SDKs. Uh, we did more thinking around like PII and around masking and, and things like that. And, and we, you know, we continue to to take it super seriously. I think that Snowplow is interesting because, you know, the Snowplow pipeline is out there and it's open source, Apache 2 license, like people can take it. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, we have users in ad tech and we can't control how Snowplow is used. But what we can do as a company is we can we can think really hard about how we we want Snowplow to be used and we can we can think really hard about like, you know, the privacy conscious persona. So like, you know, the data team that wants to do this stuff right and, and do right by the, the data subjects so that that company is, is yeah, collecting data from. And so, yeah, we, we're thinking about it a lot. We're thinking about what else we can put into the roadmap around it. One, one thing I should really point out is the way that Snowplow runs. So, you know, it's open source. As an open source user, you take and run it in your, uh, in your cloud. Our paying customers, it's the same model. So we we run Snowplow in a private SaaS way, which means we run Snowplow for our customers in their own cloud accounts. And so our customers are fundamentally running this as as first party data collection. So you know almost all our customers, most open source users, will will have the Snowplow data going to their own subdomain. You know that's that's how this stuff is set up. And so I think that we're hopefully on the right side of where all this is going, which is. Companies, if they think hard, have reasons to collect certain behavioral data from their customers. And Snowplow as a software platform can help them do that. And those companies, less and less do they want to be sending all this data out to a third-party SaaS vendor and, and, and you know, trusting that vendor to do certain things with it or not. So yeah, I think the industry is moving, moving in the 
a direction we're happy with, but but there's always more we can be doing to think about kind of how we can how we can kind of help help users and customers look after their data subjects. We have done some coverage of companies like Segment. Uh, Segment's a, uh, another data collection, data analytics, data infrastructure product. How do you see yourself positioned relative to to Segment or to other? I think as, anyway, there's a number of these customer data infrastructure products. How do you see yourself positioned relative to those? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. So you know, we've been kind of stable mates of, of Segment for for a long time. They 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 got started around the same time as as we did, and and of course we've um, we we've tracked them over time, and they've they they've built some great stuff. I would say that there's a kind of a a fundamental difference of focus. So with Snowplow, like we've been creating for eight years this kind of behavioral data engine and it's open source at core and when we you know sell it to customers we sell it in this private SaaS way and so really it's a it's an engine that our, our users and our customers build on top of and they build very diverse things on top of it they, they meet a lot of different use cases i would say that segment have been a little bit more focused on creating a very convenient end-to-end pipeline and, and meeting some you know very valuable needs around, for example, relaying and, and multiplexing that um, event data into lots of different marketing endpoints and different SaaS tools and things like that. And and so that's that's not really an area we've gone into. So for example, we only as a you know behavioral data pipeline or engine, we, we only focus on the behavioral data. So we don't pull in data from SaaS systems like Segment does. Like we, we tell our users and customers to use something like Stitch or FiveChat for that. And we don't plumb the Snowplow data out into a, a bunch of different SaaS tools. Like we have, for sure, we have users and, and customers who who do that, who write like connectors to get the data into different SaaS destinations. But but that's not really been the heart of Snowplow. Like we've 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 had loads of different use cases that, that different people use. I guess on the the kind of data quality and richness stuff, that's that's been a probably a bigger focus for us than Segment. But I know they've done some interesting work recently on. Uh, data structures and things like that as well so it's an interesting one i think the other thing is they do a lot of work as a cdp so they do a lot of work talking to marketers about how to how to get this data into their hands we've always been much more focused on the data team so we've been much more focused on the data engineers the data ops the um, business analysts the analytical engineers that's our home game that's that's who we focus on empowering them so it's a little bit of a difference of, of focus but yeah a lot of the a lot of the same ideas running through the two um, the two products all right. Well, could you tell me a little bit about how the company is managed? Like, what are the what's the structure of the different teams? And give me some organizational principles for how Snowplow Analytics is is organized. So Snowplow is kind of hybrid setup. So we have uh, we have about seventy people. About half um, half the team have a desk in London. Almost all of which haven't haven't seen that desk in a while on account of uh, lockdown. Um, and the rest is globally distributed. We built out, Snowplow is interesting, like we built out engineering and support and infra very early on because that was kind of where the business started. So, you know, first it was Yali and me and we were doing everything. And then we, as we started to figure out how to commercialize Snowplow and bring on the, the first customers into that kind of private SaaS model, we were able to to hire. And so we, we just really wanted to hire, build out engineering we wanted to build that support so that our initial customers had a, had a great kind of experience with us. And so we built, we built out those teams early. We built out those teams in a kind of a globally distributed fashion because we were looking for talent. 
and on the support side, we were looking for people in different time zones to make sure that we, we had full follow the sun support. Um, so we built the, and then of course, because we'd started an open source, we had like open source contributors who were, you know, pinging us um, pull requests on, on GitHub and stuff like that. So, so we had a lot of like remote DNA, distributed team DNA early on. Then as we kind of got bigger, we, we started to build out some, some core functions in, in London. We started to, to build out a bit of a, you know, operations team. We started to build out more recently sales and sales and marketing as well, of course, and, and, and so forth. So it, it's been really interesting. I mean, we've been navigating the whole COVID-19 thing okay as a distributed team. I, I think that one of the things that really brought it home to roost for us is, you know, we we do an away week twice a year. So we kind of get everyone together from all over the world and, and get to be together for a week in normally in a city in Europe. And we were meant to have one of those three weeks ago and, and we couldn't have it because of, you know, lockdowns and quarantines. And so that was that was a real kind of like oh moment where we, we kinda of had to go, you know, really remote and we did an away week. We did it remotely. So we were together but apart and it was it was great. But yeah, that was really missed. And I'd just like to close off with a little bit of discussion of the future of data engineering do you have any predictions for what's in the near future for data engineering or the the future of your business in particular i think data is only going in one direction i think you know everyone's talking a lot about digital transformation and that's a big part of this what's happening at the moment but data data is really big as well people are trying to make decisions faster they're trying to make them in a more data literate way so i think the macro trends are, are all going in the in the direction of data teams, data professionals, more investment in data as a strategic asset, that's for sure. I think that the, the data landscape, the technologies will continue to evolve. I feel like we're probably overdue a bit of a breakthrough somewhere in the data stack. I feel like there's got to be a bit of a breakthrough somewhere in the storage or, or streaming landscape. I feel like I feel like a lot of the tools have been the same for the last five years and normally in tech that's a sign that something's going to change pretty quickly. So you know I think that's going to happen. I want I want Snowbar to be to be ready for that when it happens. I think that I, I think we're finally gonna gonna see more of those like forward deployed use cases. So I think people have got super comfortable with the kind of backward looking analytics. I think people want to move into the forward deployments, into the operational analytics, into real-time decisioning and things like that. I think people are ready for that. I think it's just going to be more use cases, more data. And yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about, about Snowplow kind of staying staying abreast of that and uh, just helping these data teams kind of keep, keep pushing forwards on their journeys. Okay. Alexander, thanks for coming on the show. It's been great talking. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's been awesome having uh, being on the show, being your guest. Thank you so much. 